church at Briargate. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time, we just want to say welcome. We hope that you will find a place where you can belong here, and um, there are many ways to get involved. And if you've been here a while, there's many ways to get involved. Uh, <laughs> we have opportunities for volunteering and ministering um, and joining different ministries at our church. I'm Allison. I'm the administrative assistant here, and um, you can ask me any questions. I'm happy to help uh, guide you in the right direction. And um, I just wanted to let you know we have we prayed for the church of the week, and each week we have a letter out on the information booth, and anybody is welcome to sign that. That letter goes to that church on Mondays every week. So please feel free to sign that. Let them know to let them know that we prayed for them during church. And um, also in the Mission Cafe, we have new snacks. So um, come on Wednesday, Sundays. The cafe will be closed after service, but for future weeks, we have new healthy snacks. So check those out. And um, yeah, we're just so grateful you're here. We'll have the ushers come up, and we'll take offering here. All right, let's bless this offering. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for bringing us here today and um, guiding us through this life. And we pray that as we give today, that we will give with cheerful hearts and that this will go to bless your kingdom and further your kingdom along. And we thank you so much for all that you're doing through our church, through each individual in this room, through people at our workplace, everything. We just thank you so much for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Watch these video announcements. Hello, my name is Amy, and welcome to Church at Briargate. We are excited that you are spending your Sunday morning with us. If this is your first time here, please fill out a Connect card found in the back of the seat and drop it in the offering plate, or put it in the basket outside of the church office. Here are some events that are coming up. Tonight is the Youth Taco Night during the normal service at 6. Come hungry. The men's breakfast is this Saturday from 8 to 9.30 a.m. at Mimi's Cafe on North Academy. The Royal Rangers are hosting our annual Mother's Day Banquet this Saturday at 5.30 p.m. here at the church. This is for all Church at Briargate and Royal Ranger moms. Sign up with a simple sign up. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. If you have any questions about Church at Briargate, please email office at cabag.org. Also, check out our website, churchatbriargate.org, for more information. And stay connected with us on social media. Have a great week. Well, good morning. So do you know why they're having taco night tonight at youth? Because today's the first day of Ramadan. Um, <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? That little wrinkle there. So uh, Krista, our children's pastor, will be here in a couple weeks or something. I don't know when it is. And uh, so I just wanted to let you know, there's going to be, there, she's going to need a lot of help. She's going to need a lot of um, people jumping on board and doing some things. We've had a lot of transitions. Some people are moving that are part of our uh, children's department, things like that, not just Mary and Anthony, but some others. And so um, think about it. Think about if you'd like to be involved in, uh, in children's department, do some things like that. It'd sure be helpful for her as she jumps in to have a lot of extra help. And of course, that means all the departments too. I mean, we're always needing people doing things. Sam's taking over. Today's Sam's like official first Sunday as worship pastor here. And uh, we he's... <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Where is Sam? Sorry, Sam. <clears throat> I couldn't have said anything, and then uh, we wouldn't know how much they were mediocre about that. So uh, we, we, he's going to need some help, too, like in the booths and, and uh, musicians and things. You know, this is something interesting to me. I always find out, like two years after somebody's been going to church, oh, yeah, I play an instrument. Come on. That is not okay. You need to be doing something with what God has given you. Don't hide it under a bushel, oh, no. Do something with it. And so think about some of that stuff that's coming up. We had a great men's retreat last weekend. Uh, many of you bragged on Linda speaking here while I was gone. And it, was just a, it was just one of those things where you know you're moving forward as a church. You're accomplishing things. You're doing stuff. Uh, really, really had some, some great services with the guys, some, um, some deeper issues that, uh, that some of the guys got to process through, some really good stuff. I, I thought it was pretty powerful. And, and four guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, just a solid kind of all the way around kind of thing that was going on there. And so <clears throat> um, the reason I'm saying that is, guys, you need to be at this. You need to be at this. This is one of the coolest things we do all year. Plus, uh, you come back a few pounds heavier than when you left. They feed you well. Uh, so so there's, that's not an excuse why you, you can't go. So it was, just, it was just a really good weekend. I appreciate Brian 
speaking to us, and it just, everything was pretty solid. So I'm wearing one of my India vests. Um, this is in honor of Jasiah. He got married Wednesday. He's now a married man, and uh, that's, that's huge. I mean, I've been walking through, I feel like he's one of my kids. I mean, he's 28, but I, I feel like he's one of my kids. I've been walking through him with this, and I'm nervous for him, and Wednesday morning, he was getting married his Wednesday night, which is our Wednesday morning, and, uh, and I was just nervous all morning, and I'm thinking, this, oh no, he's getting married right now. He's only known this girl for like three weeks. I mean, scary stuff, but, uh, but it's pretty cool how big God is and how he does all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Easter weekend, we had an Easter egg hunt. Let's, we want to show you the videos of that. that, huh? Almost 400 kids uh, that were involved. It just, it's just one of those times when it's just really, it's just a lot of fun. It's really cool to see all the kids out there. I really do think, though, we need to up the ante on the hunt word. We're not, we're just throwing eggs out on the ground. Kids are picking it up. Back in my day, you had to search for days for one egg, right? By the time you found it, it was like a week later, and, the, and the, it was a real egg, too, so it was stinking. That's how you found it. And, uh, but it was a good time, got to talk to a lot of people, got to talk, tell people about Jesus, um, got a public one, and then obviously lots of conversations going on at balloons and balloon animals and face painting and all kinds of stuff that was involved. It's really, it's really a lot of fun, really cool. Any of those things coming up, remember the boards that we set up and you put a sticky to it uh, a couple months ago that for outreaches and things. When these things come up, we're going to be announcing them, we're going to be talking about them, we want you to jump into these things. Now, some of this we are going to... Uh, on some of our outreaches, we're actually going to pull that list of people out and call some of you and say, now you wanted to work in outreach, we need your, your help. But we also want you to just jump in, just jump in and do some things. So, so I, wanna, I want to uh, go to, this is after Easter, right? Easter is a couple weeks ago. This is after Easter. Jesus is on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection. I want to look at the, some of that. Um, I've got a list. I went just to the Gospels. There's other places in the New Testament where it talks about some other events, but I'm just going to stick with the Gospels. I went over everywhere in the Gospels that um, Jesus showed himself to somebody. And there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. And, and again, this is your, I know this has just kind of been my theme. This has been my heart. This has been my mind for quite a few months now. But ask the question, why? Why did Jesus show himself to the people that he showed himself to? And I think there's some of the answers, are, to me, are pretty obvious. Um, but sometimes we have to kind of dig down a little bit and, and, and process it. Why did Jesus show himself to the people that he did? And here, here's actually the question. It's not, why he, it's not who he showed himself to, because I believe personally he showed himself to a lot more people than we have recorded in Scripture. Right? Here, here's one of the ways I would prove that. Don't, don't you know, like build a theological castle on this mentality, because it's not, script, it's not in Scripture. This is my thinking. I do think that he showed himself to more people. And one of the reasons I say that is because the Gospels don't record the same stories. Now, I'm going to read, uh, in a little bit, I'm going to read one out of Matthew and one out of John that are the same story, but they're even recorded differently. Uh, there's details that are different. So why, why did some of the Gospels record some stories but not others? Why did they, why, did they record everything? I don't believe they did. Here's one of the reasons I don't think they, every single place Jesus showed up they recorded because... We don't see where he specifically went to his family. Don't you think he would have done that? Don't you think Jesus would have been like, hey, I'm going to drop by, see mom for my way out of town? That something, I think he would have showed himself to his brother. In fact, I believe he showed himself to his brother James after the resurrection. I don't know that for sure, but I think he did. And here's the reason is because James ends up writing the book that, that says he believes in Jesus. He believes his little brother was, I mean, his older brother was God in human flesh. So I think some of that, maybe I'm just putting supposition here, but I think Jesus showed himself to more people than we have recorded. So here's the question. Why did the ones make the gospels that did? Why did some make certain gospels, not others? Why did Jesus choose, to, and this is the biggest part of the question, why did Jesus chose, choose to show himself 
to the people that he did and make sure that it was recorded. That's, that's the key, and that's where we're going to drill down a little bit. So I, I, I looked through and I wrote some of these down. <clears throat> well, these are actually all of them that are in the Gospels. Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. I talked about that uh, a few weeks ago. The two guys on the road to Emmaus, uh, one of them is named, one of them is not named. We don't know for sure who the other was, and we don't really know who this Cleopas guy is. I think this is actually kind of important. I talked a little bit about that. I touched on it briefly a few weeks ago when I, when I spoke about this. But I, I, think, um, I think part of the reason. Now, now here's, here's a little bit of a disclaimer. We don't know for sure. These guys could have been rock stars in their time frame, church-wise, right? They could have been very well-known, leaders, all of this other kind of stuff. But we don't actually see them recorded anywhere. We don't know anything about them. From our perspective, looking back 2,000 years, it appears that they were kind of unknowns, all right? I think that's pretty cool that Jesus shows up with these two guys walking along the road. He, he, do you realize there's only a couple of times when he showed himself to a mass group of people? It was always just a few here, or maybe these guys in the room, or whatever, but it was just a, a few people. That, that's pretty cool to me that why did he choose the ones he chose? Here's, here's the way I, my brain always works with this. If I would have been walking on the road, would Jesus have showed up and talk to me. Well, he did Cleopas and the other unknown guy. Who was the unknown guy? Could have been me at that time. Right? You don't know it wasn't me. There's, have you ever heard of a TARDIS? Okay. So why does Jesus pick who he picks? Hey, here's another. Uh, Peter and the disciples out on the lake. This was actually a little bit after most of the times when Jesus shows himself, it's the first few days, and then uh, uh, the rest are like over the entire rest of the 40 days. But this is the one that's quite a, a, a week or two later, where, remember, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter was a fisherman, and he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. And then he takes him on this amazing journey for three years plus, and then we see where Peter, after the resurrection, now Peter feels very broken, he's, he feels guilty, condemned, all these other kind of things. And, and Peter, because he's the outspoken one, he's always the first to jump, talk, all that kind of stuff. I believe he goes to some of the other disciples. They're feeling down, discouraged, all this stuff. He rounds them up and he says, guys, let's just go back to what we used to do. Let's go back to fishing. And when Jesus catches them, um, he sees them out on the lake fishing again. So he pulls them to shore, and that's when he has the discussion with Peter three times, do you love me? Yes, I do. But literally, he, he pulls them from, from to shore from the water. He, he, he talks to them about coming back there. Kind of as a reminder, guys, you're not supposed to be out on that lake. I told you you're going to be a fisher of men. Don't go back to your old life. I've called you to a new one. But they're down discouraged. They, you turn back to the things when you're down and discouraged. And so that's another time. Another one was when Jesus shows himself to all of the disciples in the room, right? Just shows up, boom. First thing he says is, peace be still, you know, which, which I, I think if, we, if, he, if he showed up right here right now, I don't think if Jesus just appeared right here, right now, I don't think he'd be standing there saying, peace be still. I don't think, I, I think he would say, okay, calm down, relax, it's me. I don't think that's what he's doing with them. Because they would have freaked out. There's no way they wouldn't have freaked out. They're talking, Jesus is standing there, boom. Um, but Thomas isn't there. Shows up with the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. So then Thomas goes, they go to Thomas and say, Thomas, you're not going to believe it. And then Thomas says, well, unless I see the, the scars in his hands inside of it, I'm not going to believe one sentence, one sentence, and what is his nickname? Doubting Thomas. One sentence. How would you like to be held accountable for one sentence for the rest of your life? Not only that, 2,000 years later, I'm talking about it. He's still known as Doubting Thomas 2,000, and he did amazing things. He went up into the uh, Silk Road. He went and started churches in India and China and things like that. Doubting Thomas, one sentence. That's not fair, really, if you think about it. What would your nickname be? Shall we discuss it for a while? So then Jesus shows up later with what? To, for Thomas. That's the reason he shows up the next time. Go to that specific moment. It's all about Thomas. He shows up just for Thomas. And then he walks up to Thomas. Now, here's something you might miss if you just read through it. He walks up to Thomas and says, Okay, Thomas, here's the marks in my hands, feet, side. 
Um, now, do you believe? And then he says this great statement. He's talking to Thomas, but he's talking to you and I, too. When he says, um, faith is when you can't see. Faith is when you can't put your hands in the cuts of my side and hands and all this kind of stuff. So he, here's the question that I would have for you. This is the part that probably gets missing, that, we, that we, it's lost on us. This is Jesus, God in human flesh, that was killed, resurrected. Now he's been given a, a brand new body. We know that because I'm going to read this in just a little bit. He says to Mary, don't, don't touch me, don't cling to me because I'm not done yet. You, you know, the turkey thing hasn't popped, right? So I'm not done, don't touch me yet. So, so we understand by the time he shows up to Thomas, he has a perfected spiritual body that God has given him. Why does he have marks in his hands and his feet? Isn't that, isn't that a, a sign of the broken body that was on this earth? He's not in that body anymore. I really believe the reason he had, and maybe still at this moment has, marks in his hands and his feet is for Thomas. Because then he says, it's, faith is not having to see the marks on my hands and feet. And he's God. There's no imperfections with him. There's no, there's no scar. There's no nothing like that. He's God unless he wants there to be a scar to show you and I and to show Thomas, things like that. I just think, I just think these moments when he's showing himself to people are huge for you and I. Not just for them, but for you and I. Hey, keep that baby quiet. Here's another one. He meets, he gets all the disciples together on the mountain in Galilee. This is when he gives the Great Commission. They're all gathered together, gives the Great Commission. Isn't that a cool moment? Wouldn't you like to have been one of those? Wouldn't you like to have had the Great Commission personally from the mouth of Jesus himself? How cool would that have been? Another one is when he's on the Mount of Olives, and this is at the Ascension. He also gives the... Um, he gives the uh, Great Commission there, but he also gives a go to Jerusalem, wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem until you've got this power. You need this power. Don't you love that sound? She's good. She's good, Kara. Don't take her. Don't take her away, Kara. <laughs> Matthew chapter 28. Now here's where we're going to dig in, okay? Okay, Follow the story and understand there's a difference. Some things are only recorded in some Gospels. The way they're recorded in some Gospels is not the same as they're recorded in other Gospels because they're different points to the story and things like that. So keep all of that in mind as we look down through this. Verse 1 of 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Interestingly, there was more than just these two Marys, right? You got to get this from somewhere else. There's more than just these two women, but for some reason, these two women, it says they, they were going to go embalm Jesus. That's basically what they were going to go do. They took spices and all that kind of stuff, and they were going to uh, do that. That's mentioned in a different place. Okay, verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. You understand that this angel did not need to roll the stone away, right? Jesus walked through walls. So why does he roll the stone away? For them. Not for Jesus. Jesus wasn't needing help getting out. This angel didn't break Jesus out. He rolled the stone away for the people, for the Marys and the ladies, for the soldiers. If you're a soldier standing there and you're supposed to be guarding and an angel comes and rolls the stone away, you give up. You can't do anything about it. What are you going to do, fight an angel? So this was for them. This was for that moment for them. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And also, these guards were going to go back and tell somebody this happened. Right? That's part of the reason the stones rolled away, too. So, then the angel spoke to the, to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said what happened. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. See, that's why they all showed up in Galilee later. Because the angel told him, hey, Jesus will meet you in Galilee. 
It's, it's a good thing that they knew at least one place where they could gather that he would be showing up. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, we're going to go to John chapter 20. John is going to record the exact same moment. But John is different. His purpose is different. John's heart beats different than the rest of these guys. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were much about the details, much about the storyline, the historicity of it, all these other kind of things. But John, again, John was just about the bigness, the transcendence of God, the amazingness of God. But there's another element to John that is important. John is the guy that at the, um, at the Last Supper, John is the one that says that his head was laying on Jesus' chest. That was John. John's the kind of guy that was always going to be hugging somebody. Am I right? Right? I mean, he lays his head on Jesus' chest. I, this, I always think about this. I'm going to tell a story on my son sitting here, my second child. Um, we hired a youth pastor 15 years ago. I don't remember. How old are you, Isaac? So 12 years ago, something like that. And um, Isaac was just coming into the youth group, and uh, we had just hired the youth pastor, and like the very first week that we had hired this youth pastor, I can walk in the sanctuary, there's a bunch of teenage boys gathered around, they were looking at something, doing something, and all these guys were, t- they, they were really getting to know Stephen for the first time, and Stephen was a, a really connecting with the guys, just, he just had that ability, and um, all this kind of stuff, and all the guys were talking, laughing, and joking, and I look over, and Isaac had drawn up, and, and he was sitting on a chair, Isaac was standing on the chair behind him, and had his, he was draped over him, had his arms around him like this. He's known him about a minute, and he's got his arms draped over him. And I walked in, I looked at Stephen, I looked at Isaac, and like that, and, I, and Stephen goes, Some people are just like that. They're the ones who have to be in close proximity to you. That's John, right? Here's another thing, we're going to read this in a second. But John always describes himself, or most of the time describes himself throughout his gospel that he's writing about Jesus, describes himself as the one who Jesus loved. That's a cool way to describe yourself, if you're John. If you're not, it's a little creepy. But that's who John is. He didn't ever say uh, Peter and John. He would say Peter and, and see, I think what would happen, this is my supposition, But I think what would happen is he would say Peter, and he was about to write his name, right? Peter and John. And he would write Peter, and he would say and, and then he would just get emotional, tear up, feel that in his heart, feel that in his spirit, and write the disciple that Jesus loved. Couldn't write John. It came out as, man, Jesus loves me. That's the guy, and I want to be known as the guy that Jesus loved. Different place. John is writing from a complete different place. Now, let's go with John to the same story. Verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. All of that that we had read out of Matthew is in that one verse. All of it. Boom. Done. Moved on. Because John wasn't concerned with all those details. He wasn't concerned with, with the way Matthew wrote. Matthew didn't write it right. He wanted to get down deeper into this and explain it differently. So he explains, verse 2, She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's him. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put it. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Now, here's one of the ways that I know that these guys, I've said this before, I believe that the disciples were very young, late teens, early 20s, when Jesus, when you see the pictures of them old men, beards, and all that, I don't believe that's accurate. And part of the reason is because we know that they lived another 40, 50 years. They couldn't have been already 40, 50, right? So I believe these were younger guys, and here's one of the ways that I know this. They were both running, but the other disciple the one who's writing the story, 
outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he made sure Peter knew it. In fact, I believe Peter was like, you're not that much faster than me. I was way ahead of you, like 20, 30 steps ahead of you. When I got to the tomb, you were still tasting my dust. You're not that much faster. I'm writing it down. 2,000 years later, I'm going to be talking about how much faster I am than you. Isn't that what happened here? John got there first. Who's writing? John. If Peter would have got there first, we wouldn't have known who got there first. Okay? They were both running, but John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, here's, here's a really cool, you want to know personality and stuff? Look at this sentence. He stooped and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. He couldn't go in. Something about it, either he was scared, intimidated, maybe he didn't know for sure if he wanted to see exactly everything that was in there. Maybe it would have put a, a stamp of finality on something for him. Maybe the spiritual awe of it was overwhelming. Then Peter, Simon Peter arrived and went inside because he always does that stuff. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. I, I, um, I've talked about this before. I don't have time today. But you should Google this. Go online and, and t- look at the significance of the linen wrappings and why they were where they were and folded and set out. So I said that's very important, actually. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he's got to keep digging, also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. That's why I always say that. And I've had people say, well, you don't know for sure they didn't know. John is saying we didn't know it until we stepped into the tomb. That's when it all clicked for us and we understood it. The entire time Jesus was on earth and saying this stuff and saying this stuff, and they didn't get it. They didn't understand. But when we stepped into the tomb, and part of the reason is because of the linens and everything else, when we stepped into the tomb, we knew Jesus had risen from the dead. It, it, was, it was finalized in our spirit. Then they went home. Peter and John went home. Verse 11 starts the rest of this same story. This is not the, the story that we get out of Matthew. Because here's what happens. Mary and these other women. See, in this story, it doesn't even say the other Mary. It just says Mary Magdalene. But there was other women with Mary. They went back and they got Peter and John. But when they came back, when Peter and John came Mary came with them, but apparently the other women didn't come. And, and this, this isn't just John's leaving out the other people standing there. I believe that there's actually some importance here that Mary was by herself this time. She followed Peter and John up. Peter and John go looking in the tomb, and she's standing out front maybe saying something like, I told you it was empty. You know, but, but either way, now Peter and John leave. Now, this is cool. Here's a question. Where was Jesus while all this was happening? Where was Jesus? He, he, wasn't, he wasn't going and getting the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He'd already done that. He did that before he was resurrected. He's already been resurrected. So where is he? Verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now, there, here's another question. Where were these two angels 15 seconds before that? Peter and John didn't see them. They weren't in there. Peter and John had just stepped in. Peter jumps in. John's looking in. Then finally John steps in. They're looking. This isn't a big place. This, this, you know, it's big enough to put a body. That's about it. They're standing there looking. Nothing there. They leave. Then she looks in, and now there are angels on the bed. Now, again, I don't have time to go over this. I've talked about this before, too. But the angels, if you'll go to the Old Testament and you'll look at the description of the Ark of the Covenant, these angels are doing, are posing on the bed as the angels are on the Ark of the Covenant. This is the exact same picture, visually, of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you say, is that important? This is hugely important. Why is it so important? Because here's, here's part of the deal is Harrison Ford is never going to find the Ark of the Covenant. And he didn't. That movie said he did, but he didn't. And I know this because Jesus has replaced the Ark of the Covenant. There's no Ark of the Covenant now. God took it away. Why? The Ark of the Covenant is what went in the Holy of Holies that God himself would come and reside down upon. 
and it held the, 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 the elements, the things that he did, like the Ten Commandments and the, the staff that Moses had sprouted and all that stuff. All of that stuff is, is in the ark. When Jesus shows up, there's no longer a reason for an ark. It's not going to be found someday. It's not in Ethiopia. It's not, I mean, you hear stories all over. It's not. Why? Because Jesus has now replaced that. We don't need an ark for God's presence, and God took it away. Now that veil has been torn apart, and we're not getting access into the Holy of Holies. That's like a waiting room for the throne room of God. We get to go through the Holy of Holies, as, as Romans and Hebrews talks about, that we actually get access into the very throne room. We don't need a Holy of Holies. That was an in-between place. Veils torn, now we have access into the throne room of God. And that's what those angels are trying to show us when, they, when, when Mary steps in there and sees them with their wings stretched out over. Look at the description of the Ark of the Covenant. It explains it all. Okay? So, <clears throat> she saw the two angels. One sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken my Lord away, she replied. And I don't know where they've put him. Now, John and Peter just got it. They left and went back home because they understood it. It all clicked in their head. Apparently, for Mary, it hadn't quite clicked yet. Because she keeps saying they. Who's the they? Who's the they that took him? Took Jesus. Now, um, atheists... Uh, Strange theologians, incorrect theologians, all kinds of different people over the years have come up with conclusions. These are the basic conclusions that, that are trying to answer the reality that we understand as Jesus' resurrection, but and this is how the world tries to answer that there was no resurrection, okay? These are the basic things that are, that are out there. The first is that the Romans took his body. Because they were going to use it later and say, ha, you said he was risen from the dead. We got his body. He's not risen from the dead. The, the problem with that is, why didn't they ever show his body? Because they lost everything. This became very bad for them. This Christianity thing got way, way big. That's, at what point? Plus, think about this. Two soldiers that were standing at the tomb described the stone being turned away, rolled over and everything else. Those two soldiers were... Um, were punished to death for letting Jesus go. Well, if the Roman government had taken his body, why would they punish, kill these two soldiers? Eventually, what they did was they paid them to go away. But they were going to kill him because he said, if you, if you lose this, if you lose Jesus, you're dead. So at what point did, the, did, did these two Roman soldiers stand up and say, no, wait a second, our own government took him. Why am I in jail? Right? So we know the Romans didn't do it. Here's another one that is that the Jewish people, the, I'm not talking the Christians, I'm talking the Pharisees, Sadducees. The Jewish leadership came and took him so that they could have something to refute the Christians. Okay, another question. Why didn't they ever do that? Because Christianity got big fast. Why didn't the Pharisees and Sadducees? Here's another thing. Stephen is standing there later, and Stephen says, this is what you did. You killed Jesus all the stuff. He looks up in heaven and sees Jesus, and they stone him to death. They didn't have to stone him to death that they got Jesus' body. Right? Here's another idea. Is that the Christians took him to say, um, well, he rose from the dead. There's a major problem with that thinking is the Christians that took his body, which means they know it was a sham, they know it was a fake that they were pulling on the people of the world, they ended up being martyred for this. There's no way. Not one of them, not one of them, right as they start to set them on fire or hang them upside down, not one of them said, okay, all right, okay, all right. You got us. We got his body. He didn't really die. They go to their death brutally, knowing it was a sham? That doesn't make sense. And then the fourth one, and I actually studied this one in seminary. I'm like, really? People actually came up with this. This is, this is one of those that's accepted out there. Is that um, Jesus actually had kind of slipped into an unconscious coma state, and while he was in the tomb, he woke up and wandered away. I'm serious. That one is taught by, by uh, secularists and liberals. Jesus wandered away. After he had been beaten, as according to Scripture, been beaten beyond human recognition. 
His body was drained pretty much of all blood. And we know that because one of the last things they do is they stab him in the side with a spear and water and blood run out, which is the last thing that happens to your blood as you're dying. It separates. He had no blood left in his body. But he's going to get up and wander out of there, beaten so bad he, he literally, it, it, they, they didn't even break his legs. They just assumed he was dead. Well, they checked and said, no, he's dead. But he comes out of that coma and wanders out of a tomb that has been sealed and has soldiers standing in front of it. Here's the, here's the last option. He rose from the dead. And if you look at that factually, that is actually one of the most provable points because of what I just said. He actually rose from the dead. Mary hadn't totally quite understood it yet. She's wanting to. She's wanting to believe it, but she's not there. So, um, who are you looking for? I'm sorry. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? I wondered, if, did Jesus get a, was this like funny to him? Just a little bit. I mean, not a lot, because it's a serious moment. But, but was it kind of cool that she didn't know who he was? Because he knew by this time, he's perfected body, everything. He knows. He's no longer God in human flesh. He's just God. He knows she thinks he's a, he's a gardener. Right? Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll go get him. Now, I've had people say, well, she was looking right at him. How come she didn't recognize him? Just go to a Middle Eastern country or go to even Asian countries and things like that right now. Uh, women do not, um, they keep their eyes averted. I think that's kind of what's going on here. and This is part of the reason I think that. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him, which means she hadn't been facing him. She hadn't been looking right at him. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples. This is not the same time as earlier. The other Peter and John had already come and looked and had gone back. So she goes back and found them again and said, let me tell you what just happened. She tells them the message, I have seen the Lord. Now here is, here is the question. Where was Jesus when Peter and John showed up? Where were those angels over the bed? I don't think this is accident. I don't think, I don't think Jesus is into accidents or coincidences. Who he shows up and, show, and shows himself to and what he does was very intentional. The thing with Peter on the, on the, the shore of the, of the uh, sea, it was very intentional. He was there to restore Peter. There were some very specific intentional things that were happening through every single time. When he shows up to Thomas, he wants Thomas to see. He, he puts marks on his hands and feet of a per perfect body just for Thomas. All these different elements. So why? Why? Does he let Peter and John get gone? Why is everybody else gone and it's just Mary standing there? Why is it just her? If you look back a little bit into who Mary is, I think it's, it, it sure helps me. I don't know if this is totally the answer, but it, to me it, it is. She, Mary came from really bad background. Mary was possessed. Demon possessed is the way Scripture says it. Um. Probably a prostitute, too, according to some things that we see in the Scripture. So, so when she meets Jesus, her complete existence is changed, and she is now one of the followers, one of the disciples of Jesus. She's following him around. She's not one of the twelve, but she's following him around. And from, from some of the things that we get from, from a Scripture and from history, she was probably one of the people helping support him financially, too. Okay, we don't know that for sure, but most likely was. Now... And, and by the way, I think I talked about this some a little bit Wednesday night, but, but so where did she get her money from, from the occult, from a prostitution? I mean, that looks like where she got that stuff from. So now, everything in her existence is pinned on Jesus. All, 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 of, all, of, her, all of her future hope is in him. All of her eggs is in his basket. She's all in with Jesus. And now Jesus dies. Jesus takes a specific, special moment 
and, and, and cuts everything else away. No Peter and John, no anybody else. And, she, and he makes sure that Mary Magdalene, one of the least of these kind of mentalities, one of the people that would have been looked down upon in every circumstance and setting from either the possession or the prostitution or whatever, being a woman. I, I just had this conversation this week with somebody. They said, well, I don't even believe women can be in ministry. Like, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're wrong. Because Mary's the first person to ever preach the gospel. She's the first person, and she is the first person that Jesus shows up and shows himself to. Not one of the church leaders, not one of the special people, not one of the 12 disciples, not one of anybody else, but he picks a broken, previous, uh, uh, demon-possessed prostitute, and he shows himself to her first. Of everybody on the planet, every human being, he chooses her first. As a to me, a major, major message that this is where his heart is. It's always been and it will always be. It's not with all the people. And this is Jesus' statement. It's not with all the people that don't think they need a doctor. It's the people that know they need a doctor. We all need the doctor. A doctor, not the doctor. But here's, here's a reality. This is what speaks to me so strongly about this, is, is this reality that Jesus chose me. Jesus has shown himself to me at different times, not, not physically like he did to Mary Magdalene, but Jesus has showed up many times in my life when I needed just him. Nothing else would do. I needed him. And, and even though I probably, my, my uh, personality probably resonates more with Peter, I feel more like John most of the time. I feel more like the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here's the reality is, guys, some of us in this room right here, we struggle with that. You would never have called yourself the, the person that Jesus loved if you were writing about yourself. You would never have. Some of you have no problem. You just embrace that. You run with it. But some of you right here, you struggle with this. You struggle with being the person that Jesus loves. And you see yourself more like a Mary Magdalene without Jesus visiting. And I don't know, we're not in Mary's head, we don't, know her, we don't know what she struggled with or whatever the case is, but probably she did. I can't see how she didn't struggle with these things. And she gets around all these other people and all these other people are talking and they all seem perfect and she realizes that she's just her. Plus she, she was around Peter. You know Peter talked a big game, right? So Jesus shows up just to let her know. He loves her. I was thinking about this. This, do we respond to Jesus? I've been talking about this for quite a few months. This is one of the things that Jesus has done. I, I say this all the time. I've been saying it for years and years. When I, when I do the journey, when we talk about how the Holy Spirit empowers us, there's four layers to that that I unpack for us. And one of those is that, that, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to love like Jesus loved. And I've said this for years and years and years. This is one of the biggest things that the, that the Holy Spirit has done with me over the years. This is not one of This is the biggest is first he taught me how to be loved by God. I didn't know how to do that. Then secondly, he taught me how to love God back, to be loved and then love him back. And then secondly, how to love people and to let them love you back. Those were very elusive to me. I didn't understand those for a bunch of different reasons, but, but I, just, I just couldn't go there. And the Holy Spirit taught me how to let God love you. And here's something else. Knowing that this has been the biggest thing that the Holy Spirit has done with me over the years, just the concept of love, being loved, love others, all that other, other kind of stuff. It, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unpack myself just a little bit here for you, probably more than, than you process. But the number one way that people have picked on me over the years as a minister, a pastor, father, husband, whatever, the, the number one way that people have picked on me over the years is because of my personality, because I am kind of an introvert, and because I, I'm kind of just direct about things. I mean, it's not like I set out to be. It's just who I am. But because of that, people have accused me of not caring for people. That is the number one thing people pick on me about. Well, you just don't care for people. You don't love people. You don't, you don't show love for people, which that may actually be true from their perspective. But the fact I don't love people is just not true. In fact, I know, and this is interesting, I mean, this is just insight for you here. 
I know because of what the Holy Spirit has done with me over the years in ways that maybe many of you have not walked through in a way that I have, that I know that I know I love God, and I know that I know I love people in ways that if you're just one of those people that just loves everybody, you may not have ever unpacked this. I have, I have intentionally walked through this over the years. So when somebody comes and picks on me, and, but the, the first thing I think of is not to them, but to Satan. That's really all you got? 30 years now, that's all you got. And, and then I realize, no, he has a lot more. But <laughs> yeah, Satan tries to pick on me in that way because why? That is a profound uh, core of me. I still, I'm going to get it. I, I, I'm, I understand this. I'm going to get that the rest of my life in ministry. You don't care about people because I'm very direct. And because I don't, I don't believe people need to have their hand held and hugged all the time. That's part of the problem that I have with you peoples. <laughs> Grow up. See, and people say I don't care. So, is that I know, I know that I know that I know how deeply I care for people, regardless of what somebody else says. That's irrelevant to me because I've had to get to that place spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Would I describe myself as the, the disciple that, G, that Jesus loved? I don't know if that's the way, I don't know if that'd be my opening salvo, but I do know this, that sustains me more than anything else, more than any kind of theology that I understand, more than any, any uh, knowledge or, or um, our uh, spiritual plan we put together in Christian is at the end of the day, I know that I know Jesus loves me and I love him back. That's, that's it. I know that I know that. And it's interesting how we'll turn to Jesus, turn away from Jesus, all these different things. See, it, it, um, when, when um, Mary and Mary and that other ladies went back to tell the disciples, part of the reason that Peter and John ran up there is because they didn't know for sure. And then G John says, well, we, that's when we got it. I've seen this over the years, that, that some of us are comfortable with Jesus loving us and some are not. Some of us are comfortable with Jesus using us and some of us are not. And, and those are not necessarily the same two people, by the way, uh, the same person. But some of us are, are very much okay with a divine understanding that Jesus has created me and called me. I had this conversation with somebody over the last couple of weeks. And uh, they said something about, well, then I just need to make sure that I keep a, a positive uh, mentality of myself, that I need to think good of myself. And I said, that's actually a very uh, negative thing. That's a harmful thing. That's not a helpful thing. Now, that goes against everything most of society is saying right now. But I believe having a good, um, positive mentality of yourself is dangerous. It's humanism, and that ship will sink somewhere. Because what are you putting that positive realization of in? What are you putting it in? Your abilities, your competencies, your looks, your uh, place in life, your personality. What are you putting that confidence in? When you're thinking about how good you are, just look in and find the goodness in you. What are you putting that hope in? See, that's humanism, and that thing will crash and burn someday, and you'll go down with it. And it will most likely crash and burn because of you, by the way. So what is the answer to that? It's not having a good, positive outlook of you. It's understanding that your God and your creator created you. That he's perfect. He's amazing. And he had a plan. You are not accident. You didn't evolve. You didn't just happen. It doesn't matter how you were conceived. You didn't just happen. God created you. And then he breathed his life into you. And with that life, he put a desire to know him. And with that desire to know him, he gave you certain abilities and competencies. If he's going to play out over your life to accomplish the building of his kingdom, you are not an accident. You are here by specific divine plan to accomplish things, to be who he's called you to be, to, to build his kingdom, to worship him, to serve him. When you start understanding that it starts with having a positive knowledge of your creator, not you, your creator, then by the time you get down to the fact that he created you, you got the right mindset. It's not you. Why did Jesus choose Mary? Not because of Mary, but because of him. Because of his love for Mary. Not because of, of what she could do, but because he created her to do things. Not because of what she looked like, but because he created her in his image. 
All these different things. You say, well, that sounds like semantics. The problem with our country right now, the major, major problem in our country right now is we're not allowed to offend anybody. That's the verbiage anyway. It's not true. We're allowed to defend Christians. We're allowed, deeply allowed to do that. But we're not allowed to offend. And you've got all these safe spaces and all this other stuff. Guys, it's killing us. It's destroying us. The idea that you can't have conflict. Life is conflict. You're going to have conflict. The point when you have conflict is where and who do you turn to? If you've built your, your world on having a positive idea of you, when that conflict happens, you're going to crash and burn. But when you understand that Jesus is your creator, he made you, he designed you, are not here by, oh, you put all that stuff together. When you have conflict, you turn to him, the author and the finisher of your faith. And it all begins to make, it all begins to have understanding. I'll tell you a story that happened to me. This was uh, 10, 15 years ago. I walked in our, in our bathroom, and I heard something going on in the bathroom, and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm walking around. I'm listening. I can hear this, but I can't, you know, that kind of thing. I can't figure out what's exactly what it is. And for some reason, Linda had left some water in the bathtub, and she doesn't normally do that. I don't know why it was in there. But um, I realized that the sound is coming from the bathtub. So I look over into the bathtub, and there's a mouse in the water in the bathtub. And he's trying to get out. He's scratching on, the, scratching on the wall of the bathtub, but he can't, right? Bathtubs are not made for mouses to climb out. And so he's just stuck in the water. When I lean over, he's doing this, and he looks up, and he sees me, and he starts swimming the other direction. Swims across the other side of the bathtub, trying to get away from me. Now he's climbing up the wall on the other side, looking back like this. Like before I was just drowning, now there's a monster. So, <laughs> so I would move over. And he would see me, and he'd go this direction. I'd move over here, and he'd go back that direction. He'd try to stay away from me, stay away from me. So I thought, this is very, very interesting to me. So there happened to be a seat right there near the bathtub. And so I sat on the seat, and I watched this mouse for a while, for a long while, actually. I watched this mouse, and he was doing everything he could, and I'd move my head over like that, and he'd, there you go, you know, like that, and he'd go in. Oh, 10 or 15 minutes, easy maybe longer. And then, all of a sudden, the mouse turned, and he swam right toward me, stopped right in front of me. I'm, I'm like this on the bathtub, you know. And now he tries to get to me. Now, being the pastor, I was like, sermon illustration. It's amazing, when we think we can rescue ourselves, we'll run away from the rescue. Right? I'm this mouse's only hope. He's not getting out of that bathtub. And I did ponder that. How do you rescue a mouse in a bathtub? Will you just reach in and grab him? I don't want herpes. I said that in first service too. It's not herpes. <laughs> Rabies. Rabies. I don't want herpes either. In case you're like, I got it, I'll give it to you. That, no, I don't want herpes. I don't want... Okay, that was the line. I went, to, okay, so <laughs> it's good that you know where that is. I just stepped over. But I didn't want rabies. So I don't, how do I know this mouse not got rabies? I'm not going to reach in there and just pick the mouse up. I thought about like hanging a wash rag into the water and letting him come up, but I don't know how fast he climbs. What if he gets all the way up into my sleeve and into my shirt? Now we got a problem, <laughs> right? Now I'm going to kill the mouse and me at the same time. Like we found him dead and there was a squished mouse on his back. But So I don't know how to rescue the mouse. I'm not sure what to do here. And you're like, drain the bathtub. Hmm? What if he swims to me before I can get the drain off? Still up the sleeve thing. So, so I, I literally, I don't know what to do, but it's interesting. And all of a sudden, the mouse came, and now he sat right there. And if I moved over like this, he'd swim over in front of me and try to climb up to me. Move over, swim over, and try to... Guys, this is what we do as Christians. We will run, run, run from God's... I'm not saying as the world. I'm saying as Christians. We see God and we will turn away and run away because at the end of the day, we don't want him to be in charge of everything, just some things. We can rescue ourselves, but really just saying, I abandon myself in God. And see, this is where I think Mary had got to. Was I think she had got to a place where everything was in Jesus and now he's gone. Everything. I think she was all in. Completely all in. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is gone, 
And I believe that Jesus took time off from running the universe and resurrecting and doing all this other stuff just to make sure that he showed himself just to her. To make sure she knew, Mary, we got this. When I say I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, I mean it. And I've got you for the rest of your existence. I've got you. Why? Because I'm God and I can do that. Nobody else can. Guys, I think for us, it's important for us to say, Jesus has got me. He loves me. He's in charge. He created me. All these other things. He has got you. He really will take care of this. Three things I want to finish this out with. How many of you want to know what happened to the mouse? Three things I want to finish this out with. See, I, I really do believe, I really do believe Jesus has a plan just for you, just for you. I, I don't think it's for us. I think he has one just for you. There's one for all of us. The, scripture records the all of us stuff. Uh, scripture records that we're all called to serve him. We're all called to witness. We're all called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're all called to walk in his power and his authority. We're all called to that. But Jesus has a plan that is just for you. Here's the first thing is it is unique to you. It's unique to you. Don't live somebody else's life. Don't, don't, I heard this a couple weeks ago, don't fulfill somebody else's dream. You live the life that Jesus has created for you. Years ago, when I first became a, a, a minister, I was a youth pastor at church, 1990, 20 years old. I got up and preached. The first week I was there, the pastor had me, or the second week I was there, the pastor had me preach. After that, that week, the week after that, he comes and brings me this big stack of cassettes, and he puts them on my desk. And he says, you need to listen to these. These are Jimmy Swagger. You need to learn to preach. <laughs> that was after I had just done that. And, uh, and so I began to practice that. I didn't realize at the time that was bad advice. It was stupid advice. But he said, you need to preach like Jimmy Swagger. So I did. And then after a while, I heard a guy named Rod Parsley and began to practice preaching like Rod Parsley. And I really did. I preached like Rod Parsley. Um, because I was told that's what Pentecostal was. If you weren't screaming, you weren't Pentecostal. And then I realized screaming has nothing to do with Pentecostal. Running around on the platform has nothing to do with Pentecostal. I did all that stuff. And I would preach just like Rod Parsley. I tried. I worked at it. Partly because I just liked the way he sounded when he got to speaking about the Lord. And I'm like, mm, I could do that. And I literally preached like that. I'm not making this up. And, and so I, I did. And then finally one day I realized, that's not me. And people would give me a hard time about it. Well, you preach like some kind of Southern Pentecostal preacher. And then I would get picked on for it. Like, but I was told to. And then I found around 1996, when I became a lead pastor, I began to process it. About a year, year and a half after that, I finally changed. It took me a while, and I changed, and I, and I began to preach like I do now. Then I got picked on that I was no longer Pentecostal. Because I didn't jump and run and, and all that kind of stuff. Right? It's a thing that I, I talk to ministers about, specifically young pastors that are starting out, they're kind of first to this, new to this. Be you. Don't live somebody else's Christianity. Don't live somebody else's dream. Don't be somebody else's personality. Be you. God's designed you the way he wants you. Minister that way, not the way somebody else does. I, 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 I used to go door to door, knocking on doors. Did this for years. Go to door. I, I don't mind that. It doesn't bother me a bit. I, in fact, I kind of like it. Just go knock on somebody's door. They answer the door and they say, hey, uh, how would you like me to pray for you? And they're like, what? You know, that kind of thing. And I, how do you want me to pray for you? We're going to be praying at church later on. I love that kind of thing. And if they say, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't thought about Jesus. Then I'll say, well, do you know Jesus as you say? I have no problem with that. I love that. Some people, they, they, would, they would poop themselves if you made them do that. Again, let's just cut that one out. But you know, some of you are like here, you're like, that's me. So I couldn't do it. Because it's not you. Guys, don't try to be somebody that's not you. Be you. Jesus has a plan just for you. It's unique to you. Be you. The second one is Jesus chooses you because he wants to. Don't put anything else in there. Jesus chooses you because he wants to. He loves you and he wants to choose you. Not because of something you've done or haven't done. Not because of something you know or don't know or place in life or not place, whatever. He chooses you because he wants to. Own that. Get that inside. Throw everything else away. He chooses you because he wants to. 
That's it. Okay, the third thing is that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. And I personally believe he wants to do that right now. We're going to pray here in just a second. But I, I really believe, I strongly believe this. I know this. I can't prove it, but I know that I know this. Is, I almost killed him right there, I almost dropped Is I know, guys, please own this. Please listen to this. Jesus wants to speak to you today, right now, this morning. I believe that. You say, well, what if I'm not, you know, what if that is a special spiritual moment? What if, Jesus wants to speak to you all the time. He wants to reveal himself to you all the time. And he's cut, a, he's cut out a little bit of time right now just to hang out with you, just to spend a few minutes just whispering into your spirit, maybe shouting into your brain. But he wants to speak to you, and he wants to do a few things. Lift you up. He wants to convict you. He's going to do all kinds of things. But he wants to speak to you. Don't walk out of here without this happening. So, well, I don't think it's as easy as you're making it. It is. It's just not as difficult as you're making it. Let's just let Jesus speak to us. So we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. Then you're dismissed. You can do whatever you need to do, whatever. But please, before you leave, maybe kneel at your seat. Maybe come up, find these altars. Kneel at them. Do something. Get yourself in a mental, spiritual state where you're saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Some of you, he may need to confirm to you that, that he created you. He called you. He designed you. Let him do that stuff. Let him do it. Okay? Let me pray for us. Lord, we, we come before you. And Jesus, I know. And I know you love us so much. And sometimes that's so elusive to us. We resist that so much. Lord, I know that you created us, designed us, created us for purpose, created us for um, for now, right now, but for the future created us for specific, intentional building of your kingdom. Lord, I know you created us in your image. That we look like you. Spiritually, even physically, we look like you. Mentally, emotionally, we look like you. So Lord, help us to reach out to you right now. I need you. I need you. More than anything else, I need you. Jesus. Name. Jesus name. Maybe find you a place up at the altar. Maybe find you, maybe just kneel down where you are. But just begin to talk to him. Open your mind and your spirit and let him talk back. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you to confirm within my spirit that I'm the child of the King. I need you to confirm within my spirit that you're the ruler of everything, that nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, I need you to confirm into my spirit that you've given me everything I need right now to serve you. You've already given me everything. I don't have to try to figure it out. I don't have to try to create it, work toward it, or whatever. You've given me everything if I'll just jump into you give me everything. In the name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You're the King. Oh, you're the King. You're the King.